Welcome to Schooled by Mr. Baskin. I have been working with young people for 30 years plus now, and I've loved it, all of it, even the tough times. I am using this time to reconnect with older students or to just kind of express what's on my mind. And now, not just about what I've done in the classroom, but what I've done on the football field. Hopefully it helps me kind of get thoughts out and also helps you kind of appreciate all the work that goes into being a teacher and a coach. Hello, hello. Happy February 15th, my 30th anniversary of teaching. I um, did not have the date memorized. A few years back, I looked it up out of curiosity, and it turns out it was the 15th of 1994 when I started teaching. I was a substitute teacher. Did that in a few different schools for several months, and that's how I you know, first started in this gig, and 30 years later, here I am. And it was interesting today because, you know, I, I put word out there. To me, it's kind of a milestone, and it's the last milestone I'm going to have. I'm not going to be there for 35 or 40, certainly not anything beyond that. I am hoping to retire in two years or so. I'll probably finish. I'll get to 32 this time two years from now and finish that school year. So I'm, I'm hoping to be done by the end of June 2026 and see what's next. But this is the last milestone moment I have, the last landmark moment I have. In the classroom, and to be honest, uh, 25-year anniversary kind of came and went. I didn't really say much about it. I was a little bummed when I didn't, you know, so I kind of, I drew a little attention to myself. I kind of, not a lot. I mean, I, I mentioned it on social media, and I told some of my colleagues. And it was nice getting a shout-out from them. You know, they said something nice in the morning announcements. And, um, you know, it made me a little bit nostalgic. It's really great hearing back from former students from all of these years ago, including kids from that first year. Which is funny, those kids now are 41 years old, 40 and 41 years old, which is insane. And they still remember me as their teacher. And I heard from a lot of other kids today as well. The kids that aren't kids, these are grown people in their 20s and 30s, and like I said, their 40s. Um, I had a paraprofessional work with me today that was in my class 11 years ago. There are two other people besides her in my building that I have taught. So I've been doing this forever and then some. And I still feel feel pretty good. You know, I, I am ready to start moving on. I'm definitely in the back nine of my back nine. I feel more irritable about a lot of things, but at the same time, almost none of that has to do with the kids. The kids to me first and foremost have always been the most important element of my job. Can I keep them engaged? Can I make them feel like they are appreciated? I think I've done a very good job of that. I'm not perfect. And there's times where I'm too gruff, you know, or, or short-tempered <laughs> or impatient, I'm sure of it. But I think by and large, over all this time, I, I've tried to do right by them. So I'm just talking today because I just started thinking about then and now. There was one of my colleagues and she had asked, you know, does it feel like a long time? Or does it feel like a blur? Does it feel fast or slow? And there's different elements of it. You know, when I started back in 1994, the Bronx was a very different place. And I was a very different person. I was 23 years old. Um, I had never had a, a real, real job like anything close to this. I worked downtown in really crappy printing mill for a year out of college. 
um, this was very different. And, you know, it brought me back to my roots being in the Bronx. And the Bronx back then, it was rougher than it is now, at least especially where I was. I was down on, you know, 152nd and Tinton Avenue. And that's basically as South Bronx as you can get. You know, uh, that when I was substitute teaching at PS 161, shout out to Ponce de Leon. Uh, at one point, the assistant principal came to me and said, we're going to need you to substitute teach this kindergarten class, but you're going to need to keep teach them in the hallway. And that's because there was uh, a gang issue going on outside and they were afraid that it was going to, you know, become armed. <laughs> and the kindergarten class that I was subbing for, they had their, their windows facing the street where they were afraid all this was going to go down. So that, that was a hell of a thing. You know, I remember taking the six and getting off and walking over crack vials. And I remember having a kid in a car accident and going to see him in the hospital. And I remember uh, a fire in the projects where one of my students died and their father died. I remember a lot. I remember chalkboards with actual chalk <laughs> where I would send a student all the way to pound out the erasers, that kind of thing. So today feels really different. You know, that, that first six years that I was in 161, that was like boot camp for me. I, I was the youngest teacher there probably by 10 years. There was no mentoring program. There was no Teach for America or scaffolding system, or nothing. And I wasn't an education major in college, so I had honestly no clue as to what I was doing. I was winging it, and I was just trying to create lessons that, were interesting and where the kids were working. And I just ironed it out over time pretty quickly. I had a couple people here and there that would give me points, pointers here and there. But <laughs> I felt like a self-taught musician. You know, I'm going to have to figure this out, like what sounds good and what doesn't sound good. Um, I, I dated where I worked and that wasn't a great idea. I learned that lesson a couple times and that stunk because that was allowing my personal life to bleed into my professional life. And I smartened up, but it took me a few years to figure that out. Those first several years, I was really focused, unfortunately. And when the school day was over, me getting out, and this was the best paying job I had by, by triple. So, and the apartment I had was dirt cheap, and I had different roommates over the years, including both my brother and sister at different times. So I had some money in my pocket, not a lot, but I spent a lot of it going out. I spent a lot of it drinking. I spent a lot of it buying music, later on DVDs. Um, I didn't save enough of it until after that first six years. Like I said, that first six years was boot camp, figuring out what to do in this different setting. And I feel like by my, my fourth year, I kind of started getting the hang of it a little bit. But honestly, it took a lot longer than that. Um, but I, I had to learn quick. And the number one thing to me always, you know, then and now, is the kids. Do they feel safe? Do they feel heard? Um, can I make them laugh? Can I make them learn? Can When I do get mad at them, do they know why? And this was something I, I learned from, not from teachers so much as from my dad. I learned from Smitty. Just if you're going to 
tear a kid down, you make sure to build them back up. You find that time to go talk to them after. I felt like early on, I, I did a good job talking with parents, you know, way before I was a parent about being very square with them about what's going on. And this is the Bronx. People that aren't from the Bronx have negative things to say about the Bronx that they don't understand. People in the Bronx, they tell you how it is. They're not going to sugarcoat it. They're not going to lie to you. Um, they're going to be real with you. And if you're real with them, they appreciate that. And maybe that's a stereotype, but that's a stereotype I could live with because I haven't lived in the Bronx in close to 20 years, but I'm from the Bronx. I wasn't even born in the Bronx, but the pivotal years of my life from zero to eight, and then again from 20 years old until 36, those are the pivotal years of my life. Those are the years I was in the Bronx, and that helped mold me. And in talking to parents of my students, and in talking to those kids, and not talking to them like they're babies or they're you know specimens, just talking to them like they're little people, I just feel like I learned a lot about managing a classroom and managing personalities. I knew the, I knew curriculum. I was a history major in college. So I knew that, you know, but I didn't know about, you know, standards and teaching. Like when you teach elementary school, you teach all the main subjects. It's different now. Now they have teachers that teach just ELA and social studies or just math and science. But when I taught for all those years, I had to teach all four of those courses. And I was terrible at teaching science, but I was good at math. I'm a decent writer. I love reading. So that helped with the ELA. And um, history is one of my passions. And it was my major and I knew it. And I just found a way to kind of take complicated subjects and use analogies and uh, experiences to simplify them and make them more understandable. And kids seem to appreciate that. You know, I got a message today from... Uh, someone in that first class and said, I still talk about you 40 years later. And that's 30 years later, not 40, 30. And that's amazing. I, I can't remember sometimes, you know, kids in my class last year, you know, but and that's because I'm old, <laughs> you know, not because I'm different than them. You know, I care for them so much when I have them, but when they do move on, that is one of the things that's different too. As more and more time passes, it's hard to retain specific things like their names and, and specific moments, you know, but I remember the general vibe and that's kind of what I try to teach. I try to make sure that the kids understand, listen, you are not going to remember necessarily the specific points of the treaty of Versailles 10 years from now, five years from now, probably not unless you stick with this, this subject, but I want you to remember the appreciation of learning and, and of being engaged with it and learn the ability to go find out more. And hopefully that seed's planted enough that it's not too deep. It's not gone. It's just kind of in the back of your realm of your mind a little bit. That's kind of what I've always tried to do. In addition to just making kids feel comfortable and safe and happy. It's something that I, I just tried to do. You know, I look back at 94, 95, 96, those first six years, and that was boot camp. I was learning a lot and I learned how to settle down a little bit as far as, you know, partying after school and going out on weekends because now I had something that was more important, my job. And not just because it was my job, but because of these kids that I cared about because I didn't have my own yet. Um, 
but it didn't matter to me. It was like, these are people that I care about. These are people that I'm responsible for. And I, I damn well better do the best job I can in helping them during the day. And then again, teaching in the South Bronx, you realize that these kids need you more. It, it matters a little bit more. So you should take that seriously. That's what I, that's what I thought. So if it meant me giving up my lunchtime to go outside and throw the ball with the boys, that's what I was going to do. If it meant me bringing up some kids at lunch and listening to the girls tell me about some silly song or some silly toy or whatever, okay, I'm going to do that. And um, that never went away. I left 161 after six years for a variety of reasons. I felt like it was time to get to that next level of kid. And that's when I started middle school back in 2000. It's incredible because, yeah, that's 24 years ago. And um, that's where I got more focused on, on social studies. And it's incredible how much time has passed. You know, I, I, I moved from chalkboards and little kids and tiny little chairs to dry erase boards and uh, writing notes on chart paper. And I remember 9-11 and, oh, my gosh, how do we handle this? How do I help students get through this weird time that's the weirdest, most disturbing times of my life? Certainly theirs, especially at that time. Um, I learned how to deal with kids that were starting to mature and think about stuff beyond family and, and learning and sports, where they started thinking about girls and they started thinking about, you know, getting respect on the street and fighting <laughs> and, and drugs and alcohol and having to talk to these kids straight about real life stuff, not baby stuff anymore. And in those years, <coughs> excuse me, in those years, um, I was starting to find myself. I got into my 30s and realized, well, I don't want to just be partying and hanging out and trying to find girls. I kind of want to settle down and stop chasing ghosts from my past. It was time for me to kind of lock in on what's coming next and how to make that next moment better. I started setting aside some money. I started, um, I made sure I got my master's degree and, and got all my, my licensing squared away finally. I met Jen and Jen changed my life. That, that feels like a whole other life has occurred since those early years. Just in meeting somebody who cared about me and listened to me and helped me become a better version of myself every day. That, that reflected right into the classroom in my teaching. And it allowed me to not focus on the negative elements of teaching in the Bronx, which happens to be, for me, in my experience, adults, you know, whether it's parents that are indifferent to what's happening to their kids or teaching them bad influences, teachers that are just there for the paycheck and the benefits, administrators that couldn't give a fuck about anything except not getting in trouble. Uh, the kids still the bedrock of what I wanted to do, but now I had found an adult, a partner, soon a lover, that allowed me to care about those things, that allowed me to talk about the things I wanted to do, and allowed me uh, a freedom away from dealing with those people. It was easier now to not interact with them. And to be honest, I kind of became sort of a, a curmudgeon at school when it came to the adults, but I stayed as close as ever as I could with my students. But eventually that place fell apart, 162, and then I had to move on and Went to 339 over on, West, in the, on Webster Avenue, District 9. 
that that was the worst place I ever worked. That place was horrific. But now I had, at this point, I had a wife, and I had two young children, and I had a focus. You know, a focus where so I was a, I was able to put football aside for a few years and focus on my craft and doing it well, and still reaching to these kids and making it work. But now having a newer understanding because I'm a a husband, and now because I am a father, I, I have a further, deeper understanding. Of, I think of what parents are dealing with and what kids are dealing with, and why this stuff matters so much because you want to move forward and you want to take these roughneck kids from you know Webster Avenue, 171st Street, and build them into something more. You know, and I found a way to accommodate once again football with my life along with teaching. And then 12 years ago, I got the chance to come to VNA in the North Bronx, Morris Park. Way nicer than any place I ever taught. First place I ever taught white kids. <laughs> First place I ever uh, dealt with kids wearing uniforms and clean furniture and no fights. And babyish at times, that school. But at the same time, now you can focus on your teachings. You don't got to worry about shootouts in the street. Or crack files outside the building, or kids in a shelter, or seventeen-year-old eighth graders with two kids of their own. Now I can just focus on on teaching, and I feel like that's where I really got to that next level. And we went from chalkboards when I started to dry erase to writing notes on chart paper to powerpoints, and soon smartboards, and kids having their own devices. To use the internet and create Google documents. And that's kind of where I really feel like there's a whole other level of teaching. And it's really the first place, too, where to be honest, in all of those years where there was some guidance. You know, for better or for worse, we all complain about being observed and we all complain about going to professional development meetings. Me, especially. I, I freaking hate professional development meetings. But when you look back, Gradually, over time, they took this piece of granite named Kurt Bascom and carved it and honed it and cured it and sharpened it and beat on it and made me more into a a blade than just a a club, you know? And I feel very proficient at what I do, even if it's not appreciated all the time. Even if I still work in a school that sometimes is still a little too much emphasis on elementary school rather than middle school. But I do feel like this is where I got best at my craft. And in being better at my craft, it allowed me to get more focused in football as well. Because I have this down. I understand what I'm doing here. My role is defined and clear. And now what else is out there? My kids got a little bit bigger and it's letting me return to football. And during this time, I went back to Cardinal Spellman, where I hadn't been in a decade, and got back to coaching and coaching well and making an impact. And after a few years of being there, I got opportunity to go to yet another school and become a defensive coordinator. And then after a few years there of turning a program around, soon enough, I got a head coaching position, and I'm in my third year of being a head coach. And that's the next chapter for me. 30 years of teaching, I, I figure I got two more. But coaching, I know I got at least 10 years in me. I still feel youthful at 53, not all the time, right now, <laughs> but I want to stay at this, you know, and 
getting better in the classroom and getting more focused on my family allowed me to kind of streamline and cut away the fat of the stuff that might have been in my way. You know, whether it was drinking or hanging out and spending money on the wrong things to where, yeah, I want to do this football thing next. And the, and the picture got more clear for me. My lens got more focused on, on the next chapter. When I retire someday, like I said, probably two and a half years, I'll probably cry like a baby because that's what I do. But I will leave knowing that being in this profession is the best choice I ever made. Being in this profession helped me become a better man, a better father, a better husband, a better everything, a better coach. Because, you know, it's not just a career. It's, it's a lot more than that. And taking today on this drive home and reflecting on 30-some years, there's no way I could possibly cover everything. But to any older students thinking about what to do with their lives, any current teachers that are frustrated with their space, any anybody who's thinking about their place in this life, their place in their, in their career, one, I hope you like it. I hope you understand that, yeah, there's a hell of a lot of work to it. That's the job. That's the gig. But if you focus on the right elements of that, you can find a joy. And I feel like that's what I've done. I don't feel like most of the people I've worked with over the years that are miserable and counting down to the end of the day, counting down to Friday, counting down to vacation, counting down to summer. I, Of course, I like those things. Of course, I want those things. And as I get older, yeah, I want them a little bit more sometimes. But I've never felt like, oh, this place, not, not, at, at least not at the same level as 95% of the people I've worked with. Now, I am fortunate over all this time to have made some good relationships with people, maybe not as many as I should have. That's one of my few regrets. I think sometimes I got kind of locked into what I was doing and teaching more so than I was socializing. And most of that is good, but sometimes it's good to have some real friendships. And I don't know how many of those I've developed. Um, but the ones I have, I treasure. So as I tie up this impromptu episode, I wasn't sure whether or not I was going to do it. I'm just thankful. I'm thankful to God. I'm thankful to the opportunities I've had. I'm thankful to Sequoia Ruskin that helped put me in this space 30-some years ago by getting me an interview and mentoring me. The only thing close to a mentor I've had in my first several years in this occupation. Thankful to my family, specifically my dad, who just been teaching me how to tell stories and getting me interested in history. I am thankful to my family, most especially my wife, for just being there for me as a rock, as steady, as loving no matter what, even for all of my imperfections. And thankful to my kids for helping me learn what it means to, to be loved and to, to show me how the lessons pay off directly, not in an abstract. But I'm thankful to my students from, <laughs> from Angel and David and Melissa that for those first years and all the way through the kids in my classes right now. Um, there's been thousands of them. Third graders, fifth graders, seventh graders, eighth graders, high schoolers in football. And they have gone on, some of them, to become parents, uh, to become, you know, laborers, to become teachers themselves. I, 
um, some of them to deal with their own demons and fight the streets. Not every story is a success story, but there's a lot more successes out there than people realize. And that's testament to the Bronx as much as anything. I spent every day of my teaching career in the Bronx. I'm going to finish that way. I've been tempted a few times to leave, but not because of any bad feeling about the borough. More about, hey, maybe I want to be closer to home, or hey, maybe I'm set up with the administration at this point in my life, in my career. But I just feel grateful. And yeah, so really cool. thanks. If you messaged me, if you texted me, if you called me, if you shouted me out, if you shook my hand today, thank you. It really genuinely means a lot. Um, yeah, so I'm going to tie this up. My voice is getting dry and I need to drink something. And um, subscribe. Listen, maybe I'll do this again. I'd like to. All right, people. Be good.